Welcome to another episode of Taking You to the Top. In this podcast, Rami spends time speaking with founders and CEOs from across the globe and asks them specific questions to learn exactly how they built and launched their businesses. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Are you ready to take it to the top? All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 61 of Taking You to the Top. My guest today is Cass Ands. He's the founder of Cass Ands Marketing Group. His company is a SaaS and e-commerce marketing agency based in London. And some of the services that they offer are email marketing, sales funnels, digital consulting, focusing on e-commerce, SEO, LinkedIn lead generation, and podcast booking services. Cass, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure, my man. It's always, uh, always good to jump on the phone with an amazing fellow like yourself, so I'm glad you've had me today. Thank you so much. So, uh, Cass, if you wouldn't mind to take us back a bit, uh, where are you sure. from and how was your upbringing in terms of were you entrepreneurial as a child? Uh, what was your childhood like? Great question, starting at the, the roots. So originally I'm from Lithuania, which is a, a really small, weird country next to, uh, next to Russia. We're typically known really only for three things, which is beer, basketball, and beautiful women. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much it that goes on in, in Lithuania. It's a very kind of Soviet, post-Soviet country um, from the architecture. And it's, it's very beautiful, very naturey. Um, that's kind of where I started, where I was born. And when I was about four years old, you know, typical immigrant story. My mom came over here to, to the UK, to London to find kind of work. This was just under 20 years back now. And at that stage, she kind of started as a cleaner, as anyone would, right? Most people were like, hey, it's a Polish builder. But no, for my mom, she was a cleaner at the start. Um, she's She's been quite an inspiration. We've definitely had our battles, but she's been inspiration because, you know, she started uh, as a cleaner without any real kind of uh, crazy uh, education sorry you know no no degree nothing uh, but then she ended up becoming a, a nurse going to university you know trying to be a doctor all that kind of good stuff um, so I definitely took a few pointers from her and elements of her drive and her kind of just push to keep going and going are definitely something that's influenced me in my entrepreneurial spirit or my flair if you will um, it was never easy, right? Especially as an immigrant, you come over when you're when you're quite young. Like there's not that many opportunities, and um, with that being the case, and my mom being a single mother, like, right? I've never actually met my real father. Um, it was always quite hard for her. So you know, I didn't always have money for lunch in school. Um, there wasn't always food in the fridge. It, it wasn't necessarily the easiest life to start out with. Um, but I would definitely say that was probably the start of me ever wanting to unconsciously be an entrepreneur right because out of that that struggle that hunger that pain I was like okay well how can I actually kind of eat and it's pretty bad I'm surprised I don't have diabetes you know it's, it's quite weird because I basically spent the entirety of you know age I don't know let's say nine to about 16 living on nothing but chocolate and cookies um, <laughs> and there's a good reason for that which is 
Um, back in our school, we used to be able to buy like five massive cookies for, for one pound and I would resell them for like 50p, so a nice little markup. And that would essentially not, you know, not just feed me, but give me a bit of money to also get some food on the way home as well. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. And it definitely, the, the whole kind of entrepreneur mission definitely grew bit by bit over different courses of my life. Some good, some bad, many learning elements. Um, but that's kind of what's what's uh, driven me to be here today, my friend. Okay. So you sold cookies for a 50 pence markup? Where yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I sold them for 50p and they would cost me like 15 to 20p each. So 2.5x okay. markup. Fantastic. <laughs> and where, <laughs> where, where did that lead to? I mean, after school, did you go down the, you know, the regular path of I'm going to get a job and, you know, climb the corporate ladder? Or did you go straight to, I want to start my own thing? Great question. Um, it's a mixture of both and not in a good way. Uh, what I mean by that is like my, my mom, my parents, they always wanted me to kind of uh, go down that typical route of, hey, you know, get your education sorted, get a job, be stable, be safe. Because um, for them, that was always kind of a route of happiness. They, they're, they're definitely people who prefer safety over kind of really jumping in all in. Um, and so because of that, like I remember I've, I'm actually a full time dropout, as weird as it sounds. So I first went to this school called All Saints. I was doing my AS levels and it never really nothing really clicked. And I, I felt like I really didn't have a purpose at that point in my life. So naturally, what that meant was um, I got kind of a little bit depressed. It, it kind of went downhill. Home life wasn't great, um, but it was all kind of struggles to make me stronger. So I remember I dropped out of All Saints. Um, I turned up for my last exams, but my attendance, like, the, you know, the, how much do I actually turn up to school? I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, like, I don't know, 40%, something maybe around that mark for that kind of period. Um, then I remember the next place I went to was Redbridge College. So all of this is in East London, by the way. Okay. Um, the next place I went to was Redbridge College. And I remember I, I definitely wanted to do business because that was the one one subject I actually really enjoyed. Um, I was always the annoying kid in class that would shout out the answer before the teacher finished the question and they'd have to tell me to shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just kind of came naturally. I don't know. It, it was partially, partially talent, partially kind of a struggle and a learning point from young. Um, but after three months of there, I realized that the place, you know, hopefully they don't ever bring me down. It was probably one of the worst places I've ever studied. The teacher didn't know anything. Like you would ask them questions about the thing that they're teaching and they would just read off the whiteboard of the presentation. They didn't actually know kind of thing. Right, um, right. So that, that only lasted for about three months, no solid mm -hmm. three months <laughs> out of a year. And then I left that. Um, then the next place was Barking and Dagenham College, again, East London. Now that's kind of where I lived, Barking and Dagenham, which is typically known as like one of the the roughest parts of the country um you right. know everybody competes about that kind of stuff but it's it's what's seen as the hood if you will it's where, where things mm -hmm. started and that went okay again attendance was 30 percent or so i finished it um even though i finished all the work and i did all the stuff they they had a little row with me about giving me my qualification but they gave me in the end because i got the grades um, just because I didn't really turn up too much. Again, mostly depression and stuff like that. It was quite tough originally. Um, but all of it kind of came together to make me, again, kind of the best version of myself, if you will, without sounding like, you know, too much, too too selfish. It was like the, the thing that all, all kind of put it together, the different pieces of the puzzle, the different struggles. And 
I remember the last place I went to, and all of this I came back to because I wanted to get my parents happy because they just kept bugging me about you need to have a safe job, safe environment, be stable. Right. So the last time I did it, I did a college again, and it was an engineering apprenticeship this time around. And that definitely didn't stick with me. I turned up, I did all my work. That's when I was the most kind of focused. Um, but seven months in, I managed to get an opportunity um, with all the studying I was doing in the background over the years of business and, you know, various courses, various podcasts, audiobooks, um, that led me to a point where I've, I thought, okay, enough is enough. And I managed to stumble into a, a corporate job as a, uh, as a graphic designer originally. Um, but because of all the studying I'd done over the years, they very quickly let me kind of go through the ranks to the point where I was a marketing lead. Um, okay. And I only took a couple of months of, of work. Uh, it was definitely quite hard, but essentially it meant that, you know, at age 19, I was a marketing lead for one of the fastest growing companies in the country, which is a crazy mm -hmm. thing to, to, to achieve, I feel. Um, definitely, definitely kind of one of the, the bucket list things. And it was from that point onwards that I continued to, to grow my understanding of corporates, of business, of marketing, um, going from, you know, starting an agency with actually a, an ex-business partner. The agency went overall relatively well. We just didn't kind of work together that well. Um, and now I'm here today with my own agency. So that's kind of where, that's the whole big picture, if you will. I might have gone on for quite a little while, but that's kind of uh, all the different factors, if you will, that got me no, to that point. That's really interesting. The so when you left that agency that you created with your ex business partner, was that yeah. I mean the one that you have today is that the one that's replacing the relationship that ended? In a way, yeah. So you know, for transparency, that relationship ended in November the twenty ninth of two thousand and nineteen. I remember the day to this day. It was a Friday morning. I remember the phone call that I had with him. It was a really, really tough one, right? Because you think, hey, I've just put a whole year's worth of work in. It just feels like a big failure, big punch in the mm -hmm. face, really. Um, but that that's, yeah, that's when it ended. And I remember leaving with literally just 200 pounds to my name. Not Just before Christmas is not a great time as well. Um, but just kind of grew from there, yeah. You know, got a new website, got everything rolling, started building a team, started kind of developing and honing my skills even more. And it just went on from there, my friend. It's, you know, well over a year now um, in, in this new agency and things are going extremely well. It's, it's all kind of come together, the multiple failures over the years. Okay. So if I'm a new client, how would you describe your current agency to me? Great question. So to keep it nice, short and sweet, if you will, um, we help e-commerce business owners kind of transform their business from where they currently are. You know, if they're feeling like they're plateauing, if they're feeling like they're not getting any conversions, like people are coming to your store, but they're just not buying. You don't know what's happening. We're mm -hmm. kind of the people for your job. So whether, you know, it means retaining customers, get them to keep coming back, um, all these variants of, of, of approaches or strategies to, to really get you an extra bang for your buck with marketing. Marketing shouldn't be a headache or a struggle. It should be a solution. And that's kind of what we bring to the table. Okay. And um, when you say e-commerce clients, are you targeting like a specific size client? Great question. So typically it's, uh, it definitely has a big involvement with size. We found that we work quite well with actually capital companies that are involved with e-commerce companies um, because then we can kind of take a full strategy branding service approach. Um, okay. But size-wise, it's more about one, like, I'll be honest, the way I decide if I work with someone is not necessarily size, even though we absolutely target, like, bigger companies. 
Um, we're not really not really in the small business arena, if you will. But the biggest deciding factor often is, is this product a luxury or a need? And we, we definitely work a lot better with products that are tailoring an actual need. You're not just selling fluff to somebody that doesn't need it. You're selling something that actually generally solves a problem. You're, you're really actually helping somebody in one way or another. Um, you know, whether it's investments, whether it's health, any, any kind of area that, that's needed. Um, and this even goes to fashion, right? In a way, fashion is partly a luxury and partly a need, but um, there's different niches like, you know, maternity fashion, stuff like that, which is definitely a need, mm-hmm. right? Um, sure. So there's all these variations, but that's kind of deciding factor, really. Okay, that makes sense. And how is the revenue model for the company? Are you charging like a flat rate SaaS type fee or project by project basis? Yeah, great question. So nine times out of 10, it tends to be a uh, relatively flat uh, retainer fee, um, okay. although that does tend to range quite simply on the client's need. So to give you an example, you know, if you're mm-hmm. like, Kaz, we want to do some SEO, um, naturally, you can go for a standard package that's going to get you some great results. Um, but additionally, if you're like, Kaz, I really want to rank as soon as possible. I want to hit as many keywords. I want really the, the, the most success I possibly can. I really want to milk the cow on this one. Really want to make it go far. Then you'd be like, okay, well, we need some extra links. We need to look at off-page work. So, you know, naturally, when you do manual outreach for links, you can you can uh, scale your SEO a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently in that sense. Um, yeah. And that's where it can kind of scale onwards. Sure. And what does uh, the company team size look like today? Great question. So with us being a marketing group, we have a a pretty concise team of specialists. Mm -hmm. And then obviously on top of that, there's uh, quite a few in-house teams, you know, some focus on like UI, UX and CRO, and they're very very closely knit together. You know, the SEO and development teams are quite closely knit together. And then obviously if we we want something super specialist, like, you know, let's say sales consulting is needed for some type of company, um, then we have external partners that that we can support as well. But in terms of in-house, we're probably mm-hmm. like full-time every day. It's, I don't know, maybe 20 plus members. Um, if okay. you count the whole external team, like just the SEO team is like 20 people alone, right? So it does scale out quite quickly. And uh, how many of them are developers? Great question. So um, there's a CTO that kind of manages all the different, different development projects. And outside of that, there's maybe four or five developers, some full-time, some on a contract basis. Um, all dependent on the client's needs, right? Because it's not the same thing as coding a WordPress website as it is like Magento 2, for example. Um, And there's very unique problems to them that that any client at any given time can face. So you have to really make sure you get the best of the best talent for each problem. You can't just kind of use a blanket approach, if you will. Sure. And well, talking about the talent, how do you go about hiring these team members if it's on a contract basis? Yeah, great question. So um, it really, it's, it's been different for everyone. So for example, if we talk about um, the Facebook ad specialist, Jamie, who's here in London actually with me, um, mm-hmm. I met him because he actually at one point was a client as an example. Um, oh, okay. If we look at you know Google ads, um, there was actually a client that I was working with that had excellent results you know, uh, quite a while back, I don't know, maybe two years ago or so. And I did more research into the guy and that guy is actually one of the best in, in the world, according to like, you know, Upwork and all that stuff um, in terms of PPC. So we, over time, what we do is we find people that are excellent in their field 
And then we just give them so much business that we become their only client because they're like, well, hey, I can try and do things on the side, but if it's going to you know, jeopardize what I'm doing here, I don't really want to do that because they probably get the most money from us <laughs> quite simply, right? And it's, sure. it's also about the environment, um, okay. but it's, it's different in any case. But in general, do you go to like plat certain platforms to find these people? To be honest, I already have... Yeah, so great question. For, for most of these people, I already have a set specialist in place that I would have worked with for quite a while. Um, even okay. using like my app development um, partners, they are they are like one of the best people going for it. They've done stuff for Pepsi, Lipton, Samsung, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I met them through my first ever corporate job because they needed an app at the time. So in most cases, I've already got a partner. I wouldn't say I necessarily have to go out and hire somebody new. I've got everybody that I need for the specializations that we work on. So we don't tend to go too, out, too much outside of what we specialize in because okay. quality is the most important, right? If like, I'll give you an example. If you get a, a car mechanic and ask him to fix a motorcycle, you know he's not going to do an excellent job because it's not what he does day in, day out. Sure. So we apply the same mantra. We want to make sure that quality is there. So to do that, you need to have the best of the best for each kind of specific piece. Agreed. And um, how, many, how many of the team members are remote versus in-house? Uh, when I say in-house, I mean like now due to COVID, for example, is everyone working from home or are you yes. all? Okay. So one thing that we've done differently is we've been remote for years now. We've never really, like we meet each other and all that stuff, absolutely. But we have been remote for really since my first agency, years back now. Like we've never changed that. And it's it's got its benefits, right? And it's cons naturally. Mm -hmm. um, but we always found that there's more more benefits, you know, more flexibility, more happiness. Um, there's there's many elements around that. And one thing that we do differently is like if, you know, let's say somebody does a great job for us, I'll be like, okay, well, let me see what specs your computer has. And maybe we upgrade their RAM. Maybe we get them a new desk, maybe a new keyboard, something that really helps their experience. Sure. Okay, uh, Kaz, let's take a quick break to thank our first sponsor. Then we'll jump right back in. Excellent. Our first sponsor is a company called TopTal. They have a global network to top talent in business, design, and technology that enables companies to scale their teams on demand. TopTal serves thousands of clients, including Fortune 500 companies and innovative startups, delivering expertise and world-class solutions at an unparalleled success rate. With elite freelancers in over 100 countries, TopTal connects a top 3% screen list of the world's top talent with leading companies in days, not weeks. Visit toptal.takingyoutothetop.io. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot taking you to the top dot I-O and get an 80-hour no-risk trial period so you only have to pay if you're satisfied with the work. Get started hiring with TopTal today. Okay, Kaz, I, I want to jump into the economics of the business to get a general idea of how you've set up the company from the start. Yep. So is the company bootstrapped or did you raise capital at any point? It's completely bootstrapped from 200 pounds to my name a long time ago. Okay. From the and ground up, my friend. So basically your customers had to fund the growth. In a way, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. The customers had to, to, to a degree, I guess you could say, yeah, they, they funded sure. the growth. And w do you remember what you initially spent, for example, when the first customer paid, what did you spend your money on? What was the first thing 
you thought was the most important to grow first? Great question. Um, I'll be honest, we didn't make any profit for like the first five months because 100% of it was invested directly into the business. So whether this meant getting um, different specialists in, in to increase our scope of work or increase the quality where needed, um, but primarily it was just hiring, improving our sales funnels, and a website, actually, funnily enough. Okay, and do you the think at any... part of the business, yeah. Sure. Do you think that at any point you would require to raise capital or you don't see that as an option? Great question. So I think that, that that's, I think, going to be an age-old question for anybody ever, right? And it's going to be a very personal answer because... Right. A part of me would always say that you never really want to raise capital because of the fact of you then become a reliant on somebody B you're giving away something that is, you know, something that you're working on entirely. Um, but there's also benefits to it. And it's always, there's no right answer. I wouldn't say it's, it's very contextual. It's very based on that particular kind of time era and business. Um, it absolutely can fuel growth in the long run. Uh, but in terms of investments, oftentimes I probably would opt in for the bootstrap method rather than getting investments. Sure, I agree. Um, and are, are you comfortable giving us an idea of what revenue looks like today just so we can gauge the size of the business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a rough range, if you will. So sure. right now on a monthly basis, we make between 50 to 100K a month. Is that pounds or dollars? In pounds. So in dollars, pounds. it's even more. Okay. Fantastic. That's well done. Thank you very much. <laughs> lots of systems, and, lots of project management. Yeah, for sure. And how has COVID impacted the business? Do you see any major uh, shift? Yeah, great question. So COVID has been amazing, actually, which is very kind of you know cynical to say, but it's, we, we've hit record months in a row after COVID started back last year in March. When the lockdowns right. kicked in is when... It, it literally created record high months, month after month after month. And you may have to question, okay, well, why is that? Well, it's because A, we're e-commerce specialists. B, mm -hmm. e-commerce is the one industry that has strived massively because everybody has to do deliveries. Everybody has to do everything online. Um, but also because of the fact that we're, we're already a remote and online agency, right? We, we focus on digital, which in itself, in its nature is online. So all it did, it was force force a higher demand for people online because everybody was forced to move to online. So sure. it's been a very, very positive financial and business kind of uh, arena to be in. Absolutely. And I, I'm not surprised because a lot of people that I've interviewed have the exact same response. COVID has been incredible. Well, in, in the financial sense, because yes, people obviously. can sit down <laughs> and focus on you know, more online things than they would have usually. Mm, 100%. All right. Um, this next section is about launching a company in general and how to validate and market a company. How did you go about validating your company? Great question. Um, so it primarily revolves around kind of the initial point I made earlier, which is are you targeting a need or are you targeting a luxury? And right. I think 
a big chunk of marketing agencies are a luxury. And you may say, well, Kaz, what is that? Um, an example of that would be, it's something on your website that isn't going to move the needle in terms of sales, for example, or it's mm -hmm. not going to improve the customer experience too much. So that might be an overly fancy website. Well, that's a luxury. It's not something you need, right? right. Whereas a website that's built to drive traffic, drive customers, drive sales, that's a need. So we took that entire mantra as we kind of built out the agency. Um, it was always revolving around what is the current need in the marketplace? How can we address that? And uh, most importantly, how can we drive the big numbers to clients? Because one thing, if you're in a marketing agency is you'll notice that oftentimes when you work on people's companies, you're not actually working on their company. You're working on their dream. You're working on the thing that feeds their kids, the thing that supports their family. It's, it's right. so much more bigger than just, hey, we're going to drive an extra thousand users a month. Like that's just an internal metric. It doesn't matter to them and it shouldn't really matter to you. What matters is the, the bottom line, what you're actually achieving and what is the result of the result, which is a weird way to look at it, right? Um, so that was definitely a big component. It was very obvious that marketing was a need industry because uh, with myself being in industry, I know that I can say straight away, half of the industry is really terrible, quite simply. And you mm. might think, well, Kaz, why would you say that? It's, you know, with, with the outrage of all the gurus and the, all the online courses, everybody thinks that they can just do a course and then they'll have a successful agency and it's that simple. But there are so many more layers to actually having a successful agency than just doing a course. So because of that, we knew that most of the market in terms of, you know, the supply of agencies was not top tier at all. In fact, you know, it's, it's a very big gap between the top 10% and the rest of the people. There's a massive gap. Massive, massive, massive. Um, and so because of that, it's it's it really opened our eyes to, to what is out there in the market, what can be done, what should be done. Um, and in terms of validation, um, it all kind of started my corporate job. I would, you know, test out and run various marketing campaigns, strategies, channels. Right. And that essentially showed me that, hey, well, this works. This may not work as well. But essentially what I'm doing is I'm generating this company millions in sales through this through these uh, methods. And because naturally I always wanted to, to be in business and marketing, it was kind of a no brainer, right? If you can make money and to that degree, imagine what you can do when you apply it to other business models. Sure. No, that makes, uh, that makes total sense. And how, how did you get your first non-referred customer? Great question. Um, wow. I actually have to think about it. Because I know usually <laughs> the answer is, uh, you know, from my network or from my past uh, employment. But I'm just curious if someone were to start with no network, how would they go about getting their first customer? Yeah, great question. So I'm looking at it now. Actually, the first customer we ever had was technically mm -hmm. from a network, from a from not a referral, just somebody that I knew that I'd done work with before. Um, okay. But outside of that, the next, yeah, all of the, all of my biggest or my next customers essentially came from an initial relationship on either uh, LinkedIn outreach or I find better actually sometimes Upwork. Upwork is pretty good when you're starting out. Um, we sure. don't really do it as much to this day um, yeah. because the size of client isn't massive. But when you're starting out, Upwork is the single best place to start, I would say. Absolutely. And when you say uh, LinkedIn outreach 
where you do it, where you're doing it in a structured, systemized way. You know, there's all these softwares now, which almost automate the reach, the outreach. Were you using yeah. any of those softwares? So I'll give you an insight. We were doing automation before anybody knew what automation was in, in the LinkedIn front, what I mean specifically. Okay. Okay. Um, so my first agency, the one that I left, was actually a LinkedIn lead generation agency. So okay. at a particular point, we had like very sophisticated softwares that, you know, I had contacts out in like Russia and Estonia that had developed yeah. these tools where you could manage like 500 accounts on LinkedIn, for oh, example. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so we had a very good layer of sophistication. There were absolutely some hiccups along the way. And LinkedIn isn't easy, especially at the beginning. There's a, there's a big learning curve. Um, right. But it did ultimately work out quite well. I mean, we booked meetings with the global head of brands for Twitter, um, you know, an ex-princess of Germany, uh, VMware, right? One of the biggest software companies in the world, yeah. one of their directors. Like it, it's always worked out quite well once you learn the process. And yes, we used, I'll give some tips for everybody today. We use absolutely an automation software to start out. Uh -huh. um, in terms of really improving the, the targeting, you need LinkedIn Sales Navigator, which is pretty general knowledge. But what yeah. most people don't consider is using Boolean search for LinkedIn Sales Navigator. So it's the ability to write a formula in your search to become a lot more specific. So whenever you build a list on LinkedIn, you mm -hmm. might put criteria as industry, you know, job role, title, but 50% of those leads that are going to be junk They're, because LinkedIn's um, search kind of criteria aren't amazing. So that's where you need to use things like Boolean search. And there's tools out there that help you create these formulas. But that's how you create better lists. Um, when you target people on LinkedIn, you need to make sure you only target people that have posted in the last 30 days. Because if they've opened the app in the last 30 days or posted, you have a way higher chance of being accepted because they're an active user rather than some old account that's just still on LinkedIn, if that makes sense. Um, so there's all these little different factors that come into play. And are you using a Boolean search string to, to select that you know, posted in the last 30 days or is that an option? That's already an option. You typically would use the Boolean search to find you know, half of the contacts that slipped through that shouldn't because I'll give you an example. If you choose a job title as like sales director, but that was right. actually somebody's last job, not, not current job, yeah, yeah. they're still going to fall into the, the, the criteria. So, and there's no easy way to exclude them because again, the criteria doesn't work amazingly. It's relatively good, but it's not great. And that's where you use Boolean search to remove, you know, most of those junk leads. So okay. that way, you know, if you have a thousand people, it takes a month to reach out to them you can do in half the time because only half the leads are actually worth something to you. Sure. And, and how can we learn more about these Boolean strings? So if you literally uh, go to Google and just put Boolean, B-O-O-L-E-A-N, uh -huh. LinkedIn, and then uh, it's going to have a bunch of LinkedIn uh, tools. In fact, let me see. Boolean. So there's actually two tools that you can use that are really good for this. And here are their domains. One is linkedprospect.com. On their website, they have one. And then there's another website called Trevisan Social. But Linked Prospect is the better one, I find. Linkedprospect.com. Okay. And then at the top in the menu, you'll see a thing that says Boolean search tool. Okay. Amazing. 
And that helps to be, you essentially craft better lists. To be honest, that's how I found everyone on my show so far. Excellent. It's, it's <laughs> a great way to, to get started. Sure. Um, okay. Um, what do you think of podcasts as a marketing channel? I think they're excellent. Personally, I wouldn't invest time in starting your own podcast mm -hmm. purely because the same thing on YouTube. It's now such a saturated market that the ability to grow above everybody else is 10 times harder than it would have been a month, uh, not a month ago, sorry, a couple of years ago. So yeah. it's a potential channel, but it's tough to stand out, very hard to stand out. And yeah. it's an excellent way to build your brand and uh, build content that you can repurpose later. Excellent, excellent way. Um, but as a primary source of, you know, sales, it's definitely not the primary focus. Sure. And I, I was going to say, how important is your actual website for the success of your business? I mean, is that your main doorway I mean, for clients to find your business? Or is it because of external activities that you get your clients? It's a mixture of both. Um, okay. It's not. It's, it's not like life or death to get business. You don't need a website 100% to get business. However, right. having a website does do two things. One, it massively improves your company image and your brand. You're able to demonstrate that you're a serious company. You're not just some guy in a basement trying to you know, start fresh. Uh, and the other element of that is that your website gives you the ability to scale. It gives you the right. ability to drive mass volumes of quality traffic that then opens doorways to more serious business. So it's not life or death to, to, to you know, have a business, but if you have a website, it definitely makes the journey 10 times more effective. Okay. And where, where's your website hosted? Are you using WordPress or any of the others? Yeah, great question. Uh, for our particular needs, uh, we personally use WordPress as the CMS. For one mm -hmm. simple reason, which is the ability to um, have a different volume of, of relevant tools or plugins that support your ability to convert. So okay. what I mean by that is, if our website is on WordPress, it's essentially hard coded. So it's not just some random cheap theme we bought on, on, on um, you know, Envato Forest, for example. Right. Um, it's been hard coded for the purpose of site speed and all that kind of good stuff and uh, flexibility. Um, but it's definitely a favorite if you're setting up an agency. Like I would probably not personally set up with like Squarespace or something unless mm -hmm. you're you're really like day one and you don't know how to develop or design. Fine, you know, you can start with something like that or Wix as another example. But if yeah. you want a more serious website, more serious capabilities, it probably would be something like for an agency, something like WordPress or just hard-coded entirely. Right. And uh, where's the domain hosted? That's not really that important um, in most cases uh, because the domain is going to be relatively same similar priced everywhere. Really, it's not really a factor. Um, but if you want a cheap place, one of the cheapest places to buy a domain is Namecheap. If mm -hmm. you want just something simple, then Google Domains is excellent. Um, a lot of people go for GoDaddy, but they're not. I'm not a fan of them just because of their rigorous upsells. Like for you to even buy a website, they upsell you like so many times over or tried to anyway right um so they're a bit too salesy if you know what i mean 
and their sure. their servers in my experience have not been as good as for hosting specifically not as good as many of the other providers okay what do you think of bluehost i think bluehost is relatively good i, I know a few people that use it okay. um again it's not my personal favorite but it's definitely mm -hmm. you know up there in terms of the top few okay fantastic Kaz, let's take another quick break to thank our second sponsor then we'll wrap up got it our second sponsor is a company called Bluehost. If you have a business idea and simply want to put it out there, you'll need a domain name and a flexible WordPress site that needs to be hosted on a reliable server. Bluehost is your one-stop shop for all things web hosting. From design and marketing services to easy-to-use website builders, they are with you every step of the way. Thanks to their 24-7, 365 days a year live support, which you can get via chat, phone, and email. And any and all questions you have can be answered in no time at all. Bluehost offers unlimited disk space and bandwidth, an easy-to-use control panel, one-click WordPress installs, and more. Visit bluehost.takingyoutothetop.io today. That's B-L-U-E-H-O-S-T dot taking you to the top dot I-O and get a free domain name for the first year. And you'll also get free SSL security certificate with any of their affordable hosting packages. Start your entrepreneurial journey with Bluehost today. So Kaz, uh, to, to wrap up, what's one thing that you'd like my audience to take away from this interview and where can people get in touch with you? Great question. Uh, in terms of, I guess, the, the most important thing to take away is you need to stand out. You're going to have many times in your life where you get punched in the face, but you need to, in every inch of your brand, you need to find a way to stand out. Every market in the world is saturated. So you need to really go against the mark. We may, may, may take this very simply. Most people in the email, they put, hello, Frank. Hello, Jim. Stand out. Right. Use like holla or howdy. You really need to make every inch of your brand stand out if you want to be memorable. Sure. No, that's great. <clears throat> and where can people get in touch with you? The best place. Uh, great question. So the easiest way is probably my website, which is castsands.com. Literally just my, uh, my weirdly formed name. Um, that's probably the easiest way to reach out to me. Great. All right. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Right now, it's probably Psycho-Cybernetics, uh, updated and expanded. So it's by Maxwell Maltz. And the reason I like it so much is because I'm a bit of a psychology and digital psychology nerd. So Psycho-Cybernetics has been really interesting in that sense. Okay. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? This is going to be very cliche, but I definitely follow Elon Musk. And okay. not necessarily with the whole mission of, hey, I want to go to space. I'm more interested in his style of, hey, I sleep in the office. I will, you know, if, if one guy works 40 hours and you work 100, you can over double his output in a year, for example. Right. Um, that's definitely an interesting approach. Okay. Uh, number three, what's your favorite online tool for growing your business? Great question. Um, I'm going to say something that, maybe is expected maybe isn't but i would say google analytics something mm -hmm. that's free and simple and here's why google analytics is a gold mine of data 
there is literally hundreds of learnings that you can take from your own analytics that tell you why do customers leave? Where do they go? What is their thought process? What are they thinking? Um, you know, what if you use Google Search Console, which kind of ties in, it's like, okay, well, what stuff is driving me the most business? It's really reverse engineering how and why you get business through the online sense. Absolutely. Uh, number four, if you could give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, outside of that, I guess I always like to look back on one quote from Aristotle, actually. So it's very uh -huh. old, right? Uh, but it's this. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. And I kind of really try to, to push that across all areas of life. Excellent isn't, excellence isn't just one thing that you do for one job or one task. It should be habit. It should be something that you prime into everything you do. Really go the extra mile. If we're talking right. about, you know, like brushing your teeth, really don't obviously damage your teeth, but really brush them well. If you're talking about going for a run, you know, really push yourself the extra mile. If you're talking about a client's campaign, go one mile further, go 10 miles further, because that's how you build a successful lifestyle in all areas. Right. All right. And the last question is how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, between six to eight often. The average, really. It tends to air more towards eight, actually, just because I'm a weird one. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I hate it. I wish I could sleep one hour a day. I really do. I really, right. really do. But we're not sometimes, at that stage yet. Sometimes it feels like there's just not enough time. Mm. Amen to that, brother. All right, Cass, thank you so much for being here today. It was awesome to talk with you. And I hope maybe a year from now we could have another call just to see where your agency has grown to. Absolutely, my friend. It's been my pleasure, Rami. As always, if, uh, if you haven't seen Rami's podcast, check it out. If this is your first episode, keep listening more. Stay tuned. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. Excellent. Take care. Thanks for watching today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on any of the available podcast platforms so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. If you have an extra minute, leaving a review would help us grow.